Kia ora, hello and welcome to One News Inside Parliament, a weekly podcast on the big political stories we've covered this week. My name is Felix Demaray, I am the digital digital political reporter for One News and with me are the sharkiest and bloodiest political reporters Ooh. in New Zealand. I'll take that. <laughs> I wondered I'm, how that would go down at Charles Nervous. I, I love it. I'm Jessica <laughs> Much Mackay and I am the political editor of One News. Political producer Lillian Hanley. I do think I'd like to be a bit more of a dolphin. I don't right. Know. Sleek. A bit more fun. I yeah. like Intelligent. Shark. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure, you but, can be. I mean, yeah, I also admire sharks. I respect them. Yeah, for anyone who doesn't know the context of that, um, Nicola Willis's Instagram post saying that Labour likes tax cuts, like sharks, like blood. Or well, likes tax. Tax, not sorry, tax. not tax cuts. I, think, uh, I don't think Nicola Willis would be tax. that keen on us saying that, um, no. that Labour was going to deliver tax cuts. Um, Maybe I'll try think... that again, saying that <laughs> Labour likes tax, like sharks, like blood. Yeah, that's the one. Um, so welcome, kia ora kōrua, to you both, which was tautology, but that's fine. Um, right, so cracking right into uh, the biggest political stories of the week, as promised. Yesterday, Prime Minister Chris Hipkins, the Labour leader, ruled out a capital gains tax or a wealth tax while he is the leader of the Labour Party. Jess, what is this? Like, how big is this? This is a really significant move from Labour and probably their biggest election manoeuvre to date leading up to the election in three months' time. There are a couple of elements at play here. First of all, it's pretty messy that this announcement was made when Chris Hipkins was in Lithuania. There were OAAs in and I'm not sure why they couldn't delay them until doing all the OAA documents until next week to coincide with this announcement. I think once we saw the OAA documents, we'd obviously know that it is something that had been considered and Labour needed to make those two things happen at once. But it does seem pretty messy that that happened. And what it means is that the person who was really pushing and doing lots of work on this, one of them was Grant Robertson, the other one was David Parker. And then Grant Robertson has to go out and say why Labour's chosen not to do it, even though he was the one pushing it. And I understand from behind the scenes, one of the big things that made it hard to get this across the line is when it comes to farms, obviously it's over $5 million per person um, for that wealth wealth tax. tax, Yeah. Yeah. Um, But that would have applied to... um, Individuals and that could have included some farms as well. And the other thing with the capital gains tax was how you carve out the family farm house, but while still doing the uh, farm as a as a business. And these complexities, you could, there's a way that you can work through them. But whether Chris Hipkins wanted to get go out there and explain that message over the next three months, I just don't think he had the political stomach for mm. it. And, and there were sort of two two parts going on there, right? So there were the, as you call them, the OAI, OAI documents. OAI. Which are, oh, how did that OAI. happen? I've been saying OIA for a long time. Official I Information Act. Yes, that one. But uh, so it was a proactive release, actually, I think, to, from Treasury on um, information and the investigations behind the budget. Kind of proactive, right? but we'd all OAA the documents, right. so it wasn't out of the kindness of their hearts, <laughs> you know. They, but it was a. They decided just to put them all together and yeah. give everyone everything. So yeah. that that came out, 
and it revealed that the government had been investigating a wealth tax, a uh, capital gains tax, um, also a windfall, windfall tax, yeah. which n- nobody really talked about except for Nicola Willis, and nobody in the media, rather, I, I, I mean. Um, it we was did really a few those stories two. on windfall taxes before. Before, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, yesterday there wasn't a lot on the windfall tax mm. stuff, but yeah, Nicola Willis did point that out too. Um, as And then that sort of forced Hipkins' hand a little bit to say, yep, and by the way, not on my watch, it's not going to happen. Don't yeah. worry, everyone End calm down. Story. Yes. I want to come back to the windfall, but, but in that, I just want to ask, so because it's a Treasury release, is it Treasury that decides the date? And so basically the government doesn't actually have a say on when that comes out because you could read it two ways, right? We're in, I'm feeling we're going into a long weekend, maybe Labour wanted to drop it. You know, in that regard, in that sense, and have it have the story be done with, so that that you know, Mikey mentioned last night too, the kind of clear slate, so that they could discuss their own tax policy with no tainted messaging, perhaps. Or, yeah, did they? Get, I I disagree did, with that. Well, that's what yeah, I mean. Is I did they get the kind of what's the word? Did Treasury put it out? Not really when they wanted to put it out, and they've had to deal with it. Yeah, I I think it was the um. The former, the latter, the latter of that. I just think that um, Treasury was putting it out. I think it's a good message for Labor in terms of saying we're not doing this ahead of the election. I think it takes out one of the really um, strong arguments for National and for ACT as well. So I do think that that Chris Hipkins would have wanted to have fronted this himself, mm. I think it um, would have been far preferable if they could have done it next week when he's back from Lithuania. And, and that's what I was arguing in my my analysis piece on the One News website right now. You can go there, onenews.co.nz, um, that this takes the wind out of the sails quite a bit of a pretty key part of National's message to voters. And you will see it repeatedly over and over again. We've already seen it a lot, this phrase, you can't ta- you can't trust Labour on tax. It's sort of, I don't think it's their campaign slogan as such, but you've definitely seen it a lot. Um, and it's one of the main attack lines that uh, the National Party has used and will continue to use probably. But as soon as you say, nope, we're not going to do this tax, not on my watch. End of story. Then it's end of story for at least that part. But I do see that the National Party is still saying, look, yeah, they're saying that, but what, you know, they have campaigned on no new taxes before and then, you know, introduced like it. Would, you made that tax point and things like that. Too, Jess, right, in your, in your, in your analysis in the sense that it's no, like it, it gives Labour a strong position and it cuts down Na- National's argument, like you're saying, Felix. Their argument now is not as strong. I'm curious though as to why, like, is this a, you know, you're both saying it's sort of a smart move by Labour, it's a good political move. Are we at the point, is this how elections are run, I suppose, in the sense that you just have to start making good political moves to get in? Whereas, like, even big economists, we spoke to Sharon Zolner yesterday, who's saying that we are running out of time basically to have this conversation, this conversation about tax or how we're going to pay for things needs to happen regardless which government is essentially what she was saying because we have so much to pay for and sort of what I'm seeing is this kind of oh well it's not going to be political pal- politically palatable so we just won't do it right well, now. you can't make any of the changes you want to make if you're not elected into government so politics is about compromise and yeah, um, exactly. in an ideal world things you go in and you do all the things that you want to do that's not real life and 
with an election this close, what you've got to do is make sure your base is happy, but you've also got to attract that middle vote. And that's what Labour are trying to do with this, by yeah. making this announcement. So It is sort of a matter of political philosophy, though, right? So some people would argue that politics should be and can be a matter of principle, where a politician lays out what they believe in, a voter goes, yep, my beliefs broadly align with that, therefore I vote for you, therefore I trust you to hold true to those convictions. So in the case of Chris Hipkins with capital gains tax, maybe some voters would expect, oh, well, you believe in that, so why don't you follow through with it? But then other people are more of the, you know, more perhaps practical or pragmatics, maybe some will say unimaginative view that politics is compromise. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's definitely subjective. On that, um, Josie Pagani, a political commentator, she's been saying for months, right, that both parties sort of need to, and and particularly Labour, need to kind of sell their voters something, right? Like give them a big idea, give them a big vision to latch on to, I suppose. So I'm just curious what the, yeah, if the strategy now is to kind of go, oh no, we'll cut that out, cut that out. Or are we going to see now, I guess, moving into this next period, the big ideas are going to come through? I think they'll come. One of the points that I want to pick up on, I think in a different economic time, we may have that luxury. I I just don't think that that's something that um, is able to be entertained at the moment. I also think with the capital gains tax with Chris Hipkins, yes, it's something that Labour broadly supports. I don't think it's one of the things that Chris Hipkins wants to die in a ditch over. Mm, mm. It's not a... um, education policy, it's not some of the things that he cares about really passionately and I think it is for Grant Robertson absolutely, uh, which I think is why he spent so much energy in trying to get it across the line, but I don't think for Chris Hipkins it's where he wanted to spend his campaign mm. so it's not his natural fit, mm. so if if they decided to do a capital gains tax for example, that would be the sphere in which he was dancing the whole time for the next three months. It's not his strength. So I can see there's a bit of that at play too. And it's not on his bucket list no. before he goes out. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's, uh, and uh, Just touching back on Grant Robertson and the windfall tax, I just find it interesting, right, because like you say, we've done a few stories on this. And for months, I feel like Robertson's response has always to kind of been to like pat it down and be like, no, probably not the best option or probably not something that would work in this situation that I feel like he's kind of, you know, put it to the side and yet actually here they were looking into it. And on that point, I think that does leave the door open for National to say, yep, they're not doing it anymore, but they certainly looked at it and they certainly investigated it. They did work on it. Yeah, so I do think that that does... um, National will have to be uh, smart in the way that it does, that it frames that, but there is still that argument to be had. In better economic times, Labor will look to do this. Mm. Uh, Speaking of wind out of the sails, how much does this affect? (laughs) Well, how much does this affect the Greens? Because I feel, and they've had sort of two big policy announcements so far, their first being their big tax one, which, you know, got a lot of coverage. Um, and a lot of response, and I think this really, yeah, I don't know, does this just cut them at, cut them out, cut the greens out of, yeah, I think like in the sense of, I again, actually, the, the, this was their big, one of their big ticket things. We haven't seen the rest, but yeah. I feel like they were really but all is fair and love and war <laughs> also, and coalition negotiations. So 
I kind of expected the Greens to be kind of mad, rageful about <laughs> about it. But what I actually wonder uh, is going on is that the Greens' message, and they've laid it out pretty clearly already, is if you want a progressive left government, if you want Labor to be to lean more to the left, if you want you know that uh, you know left ideology to to be implemented into that uh, the Labor government if it continues, then you're going to have to vote Green. So so Labor for well, Hipkins ruling out capital gains tax and wealth tax under his leadership actually plays into that because. They're saying, look, these guys are not going to give you the, the left-leaning world that you want, but we will. If you vote for us, it will help us. I think and that, it I would think, be highly unusual for big economic platforms like that to be anything but the main leading party in, in, a, in a coalition negotiation. Like, I think you can give coalition partners some some compromises and some, some nuggets. I just don't think we would see a big economic policy like that getting across the line. But what I mean is, like, say, say you know, the election comes and we've got 15, 20 Green MPs, then they'll be in a pretty strong position to, to you know, strong Labour into things like that. And that's what their argument is, is that if, if voters do want that, if they do want capital gains tax, if they do want wealth tax back on the table, they're going to have to vote Green. It's not the strongest argument in the world, but um, it does. I think it does play into their... Election Robertson message. made that point too on Morning Report this morning. He, he sort of said it's uh, you know it's the main party's economic policy, which was the one. And do, when it comes to finance, right? When it comes to the economy, it's their one that kind of plays out. Well, that's what it has been traditionally. Yes, yeah. and so yeah. I'm wondering whether, given it's such a tight election, and it is you know the minor parties are having quite a role in this, would we? possibly see something different where they might have an opportunity to put kind of a stamp on that economic policy? I mean, my view is that it that's not been the case. And I think if you are the party that has the biggest representation, you do have a mandate um, to be to have the biggest influence. And I think especially with things like economic policy, my view is that um, you would you would toe that line. But like I said before, when you're at the negotiating table, sometimes, think, you know, if it's a choice of do we want to swallow a dead rat or do we want to be sitting in the opposition benches, absolutely. But to date, the Green Party haven't played hardball, mm. um, so I'm just not sure. Well, I'm searching for reasons why they didn't go hard on it yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, we did have a statement from, uh, you know, press release statement from uh, James Shaw, the co-leader of the Green Party, saying, why be in politics? I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, what's the point of being in politics if you're not going to hold true to your principles? But then when he came out on the tiles to talk to the cameras and and all the reporters there, he was almost at at some point singing Chris Hipkins' praises. Like I said, how much of a principled politician do you think Chris Hipkins is? And he said, I think he's very principled, blah, 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 you know, along those lines, which, I mean, uh, I just don't really understand that. If you... If you want to differentiate or if you want to draw your line, yeah. you should like you be trying not to get offside on, you know, on Chris Hipkins' bad side. Yeah, and I guess, though, the Greens have made such a, um, I don't want to use the word song and dance, but they've made such a big thing of not playing the man and playing the policy. I guess maybe that tied into but, it, but yeah, that's have a crack at the policy, yeah. you know? Yeah. That's an interesting they point, really right? I suppose they do have... Their line is often actually just dealing with policy or dealing with the evidence and whether it's a refraining from engaging in the kind of personal attacks. 
yeah, but that's fine. Just but have a go at the policy. It's it's sitting there like a low hanging pinata. Have a whack. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell I've been going to lots of kids' <laughs> birthday parties lately? <laughs> Righto. So uh, moving right along, um, Jess, you've written an, an analysis piece for the One News website, onenews.co.nz. Um, Good job, Pete. Yeah, yeah. Um, spruik it up. Um, on the tension sort of rising in Parliament as we near the election. Yeah, it's been a really interesting time. Um, I had a bit of a pause uh, because we were overseas in China with the Prime Minister and uh, coming back into it. And it just feels like tensions are quite high and people are really feeling a bit scrappy and it's all feeling quite serious and I just was thinking about why that is. A, we are three months out from an election. B, the polls are really tight at the moment and the parties are really having to scrap for everything. C, setting the narrative now is going to have momentum and sway as we get closer to the election. And I just think it's not so much the politicians, I think they're reasonably relaxed, but the staffers are really absorbing quite a lot of that pressure. And and I also think there's the aspect of it's been a massive year, like it's been a ridiculously busy year. And often in election years, we're sitting there tapping our fingers saying, yeah, come on, let's go, let's yeah. get into campaign mode. This year, I think everyone's a bit shattered getting into it and it comes off the back of being a bit shattered after COVID and a big bit shattered after the year after that. You know, I just mm. think there's a lot going on here. So I just think that, and also Jacinda Ardern definitely uh, tried to inject some of that um, kindness into the election campaign and we didn't have the attack ads and um, perhaps less personal quips that's not Chris Hipkins. He's gone for it. He's he's a political animal, really getting into that. And so I think it, the campaign feels different mm. in that way too. So, yeah, I just think it's an interesting time to be in that building and perhaps an interesting time for me to have gone away for a week and then coming back Jump into back it and in. being like, ah, oh, okay, back to this. Yeah. How does it compare maybe to the last relatively normal election, which would have been, I guess, not even 2017, I guess is the, the one before that. Because 2017, you were with Jacinda Mania and that sort of thing. Yeah, so that, we, haven't, we haven't had a normal one for a long time, but it does I mean, feel what, different. Um, I think people sort of lost their appetite for the sparring, fun, quipping side of politics the over Show COVID. me the money sort of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we'd lost that over COVID and before that... But it does feel different. It just feels... I wonder if it's also two, having two men um, makes a little bit different too. Um, maybe they feel a little bit more open to do that in a way that perhaps Bill English didn't feel or Bill English or John Key didn't feel with Jacinda Ardern. So, yeah, I think there's lots of, lots of different elements to it. But it definitely feels different hmm. to me coming into this one. What do you guys reckon? Well, it's my first in the parliament building, I suppose. Yeah. So even that has been quite a, um, you know, it's a it's a fascinating to watch it all fold, unfold. And I was sort of saying yesterday even how I, 
you know, starting in the role January 2021 till now, I feel like I do have a bit of a grasp on how things run and, and why and, you know. You have a pe- very good grasp, actually. <laughs> and people's just – and the, and the moves that they make and why they make those moves. But, you know, something like yesterday with the tax, like it just dropped in a – you know, like a press release, um, a Labour Party one, not a government one. Uh, and I was and and I was also kind of just thrown a little bit. I was like, "Wow, I was not quite expecting that," and I don't quite understand why. And it sort of took a bit longer. But I was sort of thinking, actually, I think there's going to be, again, like a lot of these sorts of moves, or there's going to be, yeah, I don't know, just the political moves right in, on the eve of an election is quite different to the political moves in the years prior to well, it's all to play for now exactly and yeah. and it's a totally it's a, we're on a completely different playing field almost yeah. it's a, it's a different ball it's sort of yeah and and it's so close that everyone can can feel it and so there's so much more at risk there's so much more to gain and again the pressure the pressure thing has been really interesting kind of just witnessing how people are responding to things daily you know like it's not even oh you know we have been talking about oh so-and-so's had a good week or the the leaders had a good week but now it's like you one thing every day and that means so much more on on a wider scale I mean we talked about this last week as well but the kind of mood up and down the country when we did those foxies a hundred hundred days out People are not sure, actually. <laughs> People are mm. really genuinely not sure who they're going to vote for. They're kind of aware of the issues that they think are the important things to focus on at the moment, but they don't. They don't know, and so it really is. It could go anywhere, which I just find quite fascinating. Yeah, it's a, a knife edge election. Very much so. Um, I, I thought it was quite interesting. We we're talking to a, a staffer recently who said one of the sort of risks. And this will be for both parties, or both major parties, National and Labour, is that people become so, um, is it what's the word, disaffected, disillusioned, disillusioned, yes, uh, with thank you, Lillian, um, with politics that they simply won't vote, and you know, th- it's not a matter of necessarily losing people to National or losing people to Labour; it's just losing them completely. Um, we a vote that you might well might have otherwise have had, um, and and, and I, that sort of married with what I'd heard. Um, I, I might have even been a taxi driver, that classic taxi driver chat. Yeah. Where you get the you get the uh, temperature of the nation. I feel um, where they're saying, oh, well, I don't know. It's just the two Chris's blur, you know. So yeah, it just it actually raises the stakes. Um, that yeah, just absolute knife edge. But it comes back to your point about presenting something exciting and visionary. Mm. And I think we're going to see that in the next 93 days, some big picture stuff. Well, I certainly hope so. Otherwise, it's going to be a long three months for us. And of course, it's <laughs> all about a, us. I think it is already <laughs> going to be a long three months. I hate to break it to you. Yeah, yeah, true. But yeah, true. Um, meanwhile, uh, as we've uh, sort of touched on, um, Chris Hipkins, Prime Minister, has been in Europe. What's been yeah. happening? What's yeah, he so he's had... The, at the NATO summit um, at the moment in Lithuania, uh, he put in a couple of visits uh, to Brussels and then to, Swe- was it Sweden, Stockholm, um, as well. This is his first, he went over for the coronation, but this is kind of his first um, trade um, deal and meeting and shaking hands and getting to know those European leaders. We had a bit of an entree to that in China. That was probably his first big real test, meeting uh, President Xi Jinping. 
Um, and I think going back to that, Chris Hipkins, it's not his foray, forte, uh, but I think he warmed up. So the, I think he was pretty cautious and very um, careful and slightly boring, but he got it done and didn't cause a misstep, which mm. with China is is very, very important. I, and I understand because in China he had a few sort of frustrating press conferences for media where he would just repeatedly say the same line over and over again, Yeah, right? he got the line from MFAT and that was the answer to everything yeah. over and over. And, I mean, if it's a if it's a choice of that or causing a diplomatic incident, that's obviously a far better approach, mm. but... You just also want your leader to be comfortable enough to answer a question uh, authentically without mm. just a, and, with a line. And your understanding, right, is that he's more of a domestic politician than a... Well, it just has less experience. Less experience. And, and I think diplomacy. it's just not his natural instinct, uh, natural in, interest, uh, perhaps, either. Mm. And that's something you learn um, as Prime Minister. And he's learned pretty quickly. I think mm. he did a good job in China. And he seems pretty relaxed in Europe by all accounts as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's he's been in the job, what, six months now um, and, and clocked up quite a few overseas trips. It's an interesting time for him to be away. I think it's quite interesting seeing Christopher Luxon is posting pictures from all corners of New Zealand and Chris Hipkins is posting pictures as Prime Minister. Yeah. And I think we haven't quite seen Chris Hipkins switch into campaign mode yet but I think once he gets back from Lithuania I don't think he'll be able to help himself and mm. even though there's still six weeks left to govern I think we'll see him make that switch into campaign mode to match Christopher Luxon who's definitely in campaign mode. Do you think is it a net positive or negative for Chris Hipkins being away right now politically? My view is that it's a net positive I don't think you can as long as he doesn't make any mistakes looking prime ministerial yeah. when you are trying to be prime minister again is a good thing. If he was to spend three or four weeks out of the country in the lead up to the election, that would be bad. But I think for these small, short trips, my view is that it's a good thing. It also is one of those things that he had to be at. So there, there's not a whole lot of choice around we needed to go to the NATO summit. It was important for New Zealand to be represented there at the highest level. Yeah. So, you know, the fact that he did do extra days in Brussels, that's a that's a choice for him. But if he becomes Prime Minister in the October election, he needs to hit the ground running with that mm. as well. So jet lagged or not, he'll have to yeah. get right into it. Yeah. What do you yeah. guys think? Do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing? I was sort of thinking about this, that same thing, because, you know, know, what do you do? Do you hold off these international trips, this side of the election, in order to focus your attention at home and leave? Because if he does become prime minister again, he he can just, he's got another three years to do all these trips. Um, Or do you do a little taster? You're too big, you know, put the too big feet on the tightrope basically and do China do Europe and meet um, I guess just in Ardern had also had that meeting with Joe Biden so that's already you know that's all there do you do that and then like you say hit the ground running after the fact because he's kind of put the t- feelers out there the tasters out there the people overseas therefore know him meet him I, I, I don't I don't know if I can I can't say whether it would be beneficial I either way I think those way. relationships need 
like consistent maintenance that, though that's what yeah. I mean is I don't I don't see I think it's probably a, a good thing for him to have gone there and done that and also a good um it's all, almost like a good, good audition too in front of the nation like we're watching him as well going over there and doing that and whether he can do yeah, that whether he can be um, the prime minister yeah. and I think yeah I guess it depends again how much uh, people at home see that as like, oh, you shouldn't be over there doing that. But I do think that people get a sense of the importance of having those engagements and and things are kind of tracking on as they were. And anyway. there have been times where things have been cancelled, like in 2019, Jacinda Ardern was meant to be spending uh, 10 days, I think it was in China, a week in China, um, just after at the end of March and because of the March 15 attacks, uh, she ended up just going over for 24 hours and coming back and that's an example of where it just wasn't appropriate for her to be out of the country mm. for that long where, mm. where New Zealanders needed that leadership um, and perhaps that's not, but that's not the case right yeah. now. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a net positive for New Zealand probably um, you know, those trips needed to be done um, they will likely have beneficial uh, outcomes for the country so yeah they just needed to be done and um, yeah I don't think it's going to hurt him too much being away but he does need to come back and it uh, you know yeah. he does need to kick into and, campaign and I do some th- people would like him not to come back perhaps <laughs> <laughs> on your point about him having to kind of um, come in you, you know like he, he's going to have to come back and hit the road hit the ground running on campaign mode and I just had this flashback of one of his was it his first weeks or first week in the job as Prime Minister and the floods in Auckland had happened and he went up to Auckland. And I think that, again, this was quite a difficult and sombre mood, which is quite different to a campaign mode. But again, watching him in that footage, kind of walking around, talking to people, whether it was because he was just kind of new to the job or he's not as comfortable as, say, what we've seen Jacinda Ardern be in those situations, he was a little bit stiff and a little bit awkward, I felt. But yeah. um, but that could have also been him sort of being respectful and, you know, playing to that sombre mood. But I'm I'm intrigued to what he's going to be like on a campaign, you know, campaign mode, campaign yeah. mood even, watching him at the sports facility a couple of weeks ago and trying to get a few upsots out of him, you know, you know, kind of j- joking around. Well, maybe Jess can explain what <laughs> Sort of it's basically um, natural sound of a, a politician, you know, perhaps saying, "Good morning, how are you?" That's a great throw, or just little bits that we yeah. use in editing and in our so stories. What I do is when I'm out and about, try and ask a, you know, bit of a, a cheeky or probing question, like if we're in the gym, I'm going to ask him to get on one of the gym machines so we can film that happening, and he's just like, "No, no, I'm not going to do that." Yeah, it, it, I'm really interested to see how he does uh, in, in the walkabouts and all that sort of mm. thing too. Katie Pye, well, Pits and Peaks, uh, who's who's just chomping, champing at chomping the bit? Chomping at the pit? Chomping. Chomp. Nice. <laughs> Who is cha- champing, I learned recently, it's champing, not champing. chomping. Champing at the pit to give their... Jess, have you got a Yeah, sure. Um, one of my pits, um, there's a whole lot of building work going out on going on a museum street and it's quite hard to work in there at the moment. So for people who aren't in Wellington and perhaps don't um, visit Parliament much, there's a whole lot of construction work going on. So that's making life a little bit challenging. Um, my peak is that we have our second official Matariki 
holiday tomorrow, which everything comes back to politics. <laughs> and that was a political promise that was made. Um, and aside from the politics of it, I think it's a special thing for New Zealand to celebrate and mark. So that's something worth noting as well. Kilda. Um, my peak actually was, yeah, probably this um, press release that dropped in our inboxes yesterday from Labour with the big ruling out of a wealth tax slash and or capital gains tax because, yeah, it kind of signals this big move from the one of the big parties and, yeah, basically hitting the ground running on the election campaign, which I'm very excited for. Uh, and no pits from me. Yeah, a couple of cards on the table there, right, with that, that uh, announcement. It was pretty cool. Um, so my pit was James Shaw, I think, went a little bit soft uh, on the on the Labour Party on the tiles when we were asking him questions about capital gains tax and wealth tax. I think if you're a minor party, be a minor party, go hard. Um, it behooves everyone, um, opposition, you know, whatever, um, your voters, every, everyone. Um, peak, though... Uh, Last week it was the Labour Party and Te Party Māori's birthdays. Um, the Labour Party turned 107, our oldest political party. Te Party Māori turned 19, bit younger, um, youngest parliamentary political party, I should say. And I did a write-up on all of our parliamentary political parties, uh, how old they are, where they sort of came from, and I found it really interesting and fun, and I think you should go and read it. Um, so with that, uh, that was One News Inside Parliament, your peek behind the scenes on the biggest political stories of the week. Email us if you want to on insideparliament at tvnz.co.nz and follow One News on all your social medias. And if you like this episode, please let a friend know. And don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks very much. Kakite anō. Ka